Good morning, Epiphany. It is good to be here with you, albeit online. At least we can gather together and we can worship our Lord in, uh, in one spirit, in one voice, and we get to hear from his word. And for that, I still am immensely thankful. Why don't we begin with a word of prayer? Father, I thank you that uh, we have this opportunity now to hear from you. I pray that you would speak through my very imperfect and feeble lips uh, to your people that you've gathered to hear from you. May it be clear, may it convict us, and may it free us. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. Well, we are in the second week of Easter here on the uh, church calendar, which means that, yes, we are not anywhere close to being done celebrating the resurrection of Christ. And since this is the case, we're going to spend our time today looking at a very well-known resurrection text found in the second to last chapter of John's Gospel, John chapter 20. We'll begin at verse 19. It reads like this. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, meaning the Jewish leadership that had arrested Jesus, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, uh, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. End of reading. Did you all happen to catch that video that came out a number of weeks ago of various celebrities singing that John Lennon song, Imagine? I'm pretty sure, I think anyway, the idea behind the video collage was meant to inspire a sense of hope and, and peace uh, as the coronavirus began spreading faster and faster across the world. I really do think that was the intent of it. And so, you know, I, I have some sympathy, but I got to tell you, it didn't work out, I think, the way they had hoped. In fact, the video backfired quite a bit. Even fans of the various celebrities greeted its arrival with... Uh, 
cringe, man. I mean, utter, utter cringe. And it wasn't just because the singing wasn't great. I mean, the singing was fine. It was whatever. People can be very forgiving about that. No, the reason the video was greeted with such utter cringe, I think, is because of all the songs that they could have done to try and inspire hope and peace, Imagine might just be the worst possible choice ever. That song is an absolute display of meaninglessness and nihilism. It's, it is, it's, it's, it's celebrating a life that doesn't have any real point. And in the midst of great insecurity and instability where friends and relatives could die, a song that declares in its first line, imagine there's no heaven, it's easy if you try, doesn't exactly lead one to feelings of peace and tranquility. What about you? Are you living with a sense of peace right now? Would you describe yourself as a, as a peaceful person? In last week's message, we noted in Matthew's account of the resurrection, uh, there are four little words that were repeated a few different times. Those words, of course, were, do not be afraid. First out of the lips of an angel, and then out of the lips of Jesus to the women that had discovered the empty tomb. In a similar way today, in John's account of the resurrection, there again are four little words repeated multiple times for the disciples. Those words are peace be with you. What comes into your mind when you hear that word peace? I suppose there's a few ways that we sort of interpret the word peace or we sort of filter it through. I think the most obvious one for a lot of us is we, we picture a sense of inner tranquility, you know, uh, as in like when somebody says that they're at peace with a decision they've made or they're at peace with a certain circumstance that has come upon them. And indeed, I mean, the scriptures use the word peace in just that way many different times. But again, you can also think of the word peace as just describing what happens when two warring factions decide that they're not going to be warring factions anymore. And again, the word is used like that in the scriptures all the time too. And then there is, of course, the word peace taken to mean a sense of security, of safety, stability, uh, even, you know, prosperity to some extent. And the fact is, as I read our text today, all of those meanings would fit for this word peace. Because when Jesus shows up to the room where his disciples are at, he is indeed saying, because I have risen from the dead, defeating death, you can be at peace with whatever circumstances may befall you. Jesus is saying by his declaration of peace that yes, the war between God and humanity is over. It's ceased. You are reconciled and restored to the one whom you once considered an enemy. And indeed, there is a sense in which Jesus says, because I have risen from the dead, you are safe and secure in my arms. Indeed, you are promised a place of prosperity forever and ever and ever when this life is over. So yes, with the resurrection, there comes this declaration of, of peace. And with that declaration, it inevitably has effect on those who follow him. 
The first effect we see happens to the disciples is it turns their fear into great joy. It exchanges fear for joy. By this time in our story, we're told the disciples are sort of hunkered down, afraid for their lives, understandably so. They had just seen Jesus crucified and tortured in the most humiliating fashion ever. They were afraid the same thing would befall them, that the Jewish authorities would turn them over to the Roman authorities and that they would be treated the same way. That kind of thing did happen with cult leaders' followers back then when they were caught. Jesus, knowing their fear, miraculously appears to them and immediately does two things. He speaks, peace be with you, while at the same time showing them his hands and his side to verify to them that it indeed is really him. And instantly, what does John report happens as a result of this moment? I mean, they go from fear. The word there is phobos, where we get the word phobia. You know, they, they're terrified. And then their fear is turned to gladness. The word in Greek is actually much stronger than that. It, it means to rejoice exceedingly. Indeed, you, do you see how quick that exchange happens at the very pronouncement of the Lord's peace to you? Fear turned to joy. You ever had an experience like that where you were really afraid of something and then uh, almost, uh, you know, suddenly you had this sense of great relief and joy? I mean, on, on a lighter note, you can think of maybe the first time going on a really fast, scary roller coaster in the lead up to it, as you're sitting down, as you're getting strapped in, there's terror because you don't know what's coming. But then the ride actually takes off and a little bit into the ride, you actually start laughing and you start having this sense of just great fun and release. We have experiences like that. We know what this is like, but, but we also know what this is like on a more serious level. Have you ever really had a time where you were as afraid maybe as the disciples were here and then were brought instantly to joy? There was a rubber boat sailing afloat off the shores of Libya that really you couldn't call a boat for all intents and purposes. I mean, the thing was filled with duct tape covering up holes everywhere. It was not an ideal ship by any stretch of the imagination. It could barely stay afloat as it was. Nevertheless, for 60 would-be migrant slaves from the Central African Republic that were trapped in Libya, that rubber boat filled with duct tape masking its holes was their only chance of escape from that hellish land at the time. So, one by one, they entered the boat and began to row across the harsh Mediterranean Sea with hopes of greater, greater prospects on the European side. However, soon it became abundantly clear to them that this boat was just not going to be able to make it they became very aware that if something didn't change, they were all going to perish out at sea. 
They spent the entire night drifting in the middle of the sea, just hoping that the ship wouldn't go down. Their kids were crying, and the parents were holding them helpless, unsure what to do, certain that death was coming for all of them any moment. And then, as morning dawned, suddenly a change. No, the boat did not miraculously become a good boat. But what happened is a Spanish rescue boat spotted them. And within a moment, this terrified group of migrants suddenly became filled with joy as each and every one of them was rescued by this boat. There was dancing and there was singing and there was, there was just abundant relief at what they were experiencing. They had been rescued in peace was now declared to be their fate. When Jesus shows up proclaiming peace to his disciples, the same effect takes place. Peace be with you. But it's not merely sort of a sense of security that Jesus is giving his disciples. No, this peace goes beyond that. He'll, he'll go on to say, peace be with you again. But this time when he says it, it's right after, right on the heels of them rejoicing. He, he does something different. He doesn't show them his hands and his side. This time he says, peace be with you. And it's for the sense, it's for the sake of mission. It's for a, sen a sense of, of new power and purpose for them. He says, as, as he declares peace, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he has said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus doesn't merely proclaim peace to just make us feel at ease. It does do that. But he also gives us peace to empower us. He tells his disciples and us that we are not as his church going to hunker down forever in a room, as much as it may feel like that even right now for us. But that's not why we've been given peace. No, we've also been given peace, empowered and emboldened by the Holy Spirit to bring this message of Jesus Christ to the world. That is true of you now, Christian, no matter where you're at. If you are a believer, you have been endued with the presence and power of the Spirit yourself, sent out to bless the world, just as Jesus did when he walked the earth in his ministry. And what does Jesus go on to say will be the content of this mission? Well, it's very simple. Verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Just as Jesus in his ministry went about forgiving sins liberally, I mean almost willy-nilly with people, just constantly declaring forgiveness to sinners, the church is empowered to do the same thing. Declare that forgiveness has been won for them, even though so, so, so many do not know this. Unfortunately, all too often, the church has forgotten that this message of forgiveness and grace is to be central to what we're doing here. Too often, the church has gotten the second part of Jesus' phrase down to withhold forgiveness. In other words, to proclaim judgment, which is a part of what the church does. But it has forgotten the first part, that we declare forgiveness and mercy. 
I can't begin to tell you how often I have had this sad truth confirmed for me as I've walked the streets of New York City and I've talked to people. Remember when we used to be able to walk the streets of New York City and talk to people without having to worry about getting too close? I, I do too. That was quite the time. But as I did that, as I was talking to people, I'm telling you over and over and over and over again, they didn't know that the primary message of Christianity was forgiveness and grace for sinners. And you know what? When you actually share that message, you, you might be surprised at the kinds of responses you get, folks. There was a woman I met in uh, Stytown a little while back. She was as far away from the church as anybody I really had ever come across in my life. She just, she had no uh, connection to church life ever really in her entire life before this. And yet we, we struck up a friendship and she began to feel safe around me to share some of her struggles. And one day she called me up and she said, is there any way that I can meet up with you at the coffee shop? My life is falling apart and I just need to talk to someone. I said, sure. And of course, in, as she began to share, it, was, it wasn't pretty. She said, I feel like I'm just such a failure and the weight of that is crushing me. I just want to get rid of it, but I, I don't know where to go with it. And I looked at her and I, and, and I asked her a question. I said, let me, when you look in the mirror, when you think about who you are, what do you see? I mean, who are you really? And she said, I, I, when I think about myself, none of it is good. I think about my failures as a mom. I think about my failures as a wife. I think about my failures in work. And the list could go on and on. I primarily see myself as a gigantic Failure. So I said, what, what difference do you think it might make to you if instead of thinking of your failures, you, you began thinking this, I'm a beloved child of God. When God looks at me, he doesn't see my failures, but sees me as his perfect daughter that this God sings over me with joy and cares for me more than I can even begin to fathom. What difference do you think it might make in your life if when you thought about yourself, you thought of someone that God loves so much that he thought she was worth dying for? Do you think it might make a difference if this God said to you that all your burdens and all your shame and all your guilt, he has come to take away and he has declared you to be 100% totally forgiven. Because I need you to know that is who Jesus is. That is his message. That's his game. As I said that, I, I could see my friend, she was wearing sunglasses. I could see that her cadence had changed and there was tears coming down beneath the bottom of her shades. And then she, she simply said, I suppose if I could believe that, it would change everything. I, I need that. I know I need that. The resurrection gives us the peace of the Holy Spirit to boldly and fearlessly go out to the world and proclaim that this forgiveness is for them as well. A forgiveness that they so desperately need even if they don't know it yet.
So let us find ways to tell our friends and neighbors with the peace that the resurrection of Christ gives us. Finally, Jesus' resurrection peace has the effect of turning our doubts into assurance. As we go on to read John's account of the events, we hear that not all the disciples were there that first night when Jesus had appeared to them. And so when the disciple Thomas was told of his appearing, well, he was a little skeptical. In fact, you know, he famously said, unless I'm able to see the holes and put my hands in the holes, both in the hands and the side, then I'm never going to believe. Now, of course, you know, throughout church history, Thomas has gotten a hard time for this. But I got to tell you, folks, I mean, I'm just being real with you. I relate to Thomas. I get it. I mean, Thomas had just seen the most horrifying event in his life. He had just spent three years investing himself in this man, Jesus, whom he believed to be the Messiah, be crucified and tortured right in front of his face. Like, hearing reports of him being risen from the dead and him being a little skeptical, like, give him a second. Let him process the thing. My goodness, it's understandable. After all, we don't hear about people raising from the dead very much. So Thomas understandably has doubts. And questions. Jesus is so understanding and compassionate to where, G- where Thomas is at. You pick up the story in verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Again, the doors were locked, and yet somehow Jesus suddenly appears to them. And what does he say? First words, peace be with you. And then zeroing in on Thomas. I love this. The very first person he speaks to zeroes in on Thomas. Out of great compassion and mercy, he says to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. How compassionate is Jesus with those who doubt. He doesn't chide Thomas for his questions, but comes right to where Thomas is at to give him a sense of assurance that what he had heard about Jesus was really true. And he does the same thing today. Jesus does not chide those who have questions or doubts, but he patiently pursues them. You may be watching this right now, with questions and doubts. Know that your God does not chide you either, but patiently pursues you. If there's, a, if there's a, a big idea to this last point of my message today, I want to say to you, bring your doubts to church. Bring your questions to God. Bring all your guilt and your shame and your failures to the throne of grace. It's okay. He knows. He's compassionate with you. He's merciful with you. And he still declares to you, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Because through faith in Christ, you are forgiven. Peace be with you because you are raised to new life. 
Peace be with you. You are restored in the sight of God. Peace be with you. Your Lord knows you and loves you and will never stop pursuing you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your abundant kindness toward us that comes to where we are at, locked away in fear or running away from you. You are the pursuer. And the words that you greet us with when we come into contact with you are not words of wrath and fury over our running or over our fear or over our doubts. They are the words, peace be with you. By the power of your Holy Spirit, give us faith to receive those words and to walk in the strength that those words give us. We ask this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.